Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, let's get it done. Welcome in, it's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time. We get hooked up with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, I hear it's kind of cold in East Tennessee, Ron. Yeah, it is, my man. Certainly is. Down uh going supposed to go down to about 24 tonight. So uh pretty cool getting chilly. But no uh, more a lot, lot different than last fall. Right. Last fall, uh gosh, we were in 60s and 70s mm-hmm. time of year. And but uh, I guess that's uh that's what it's all about, man. Little change is gonna be uh it's gonna be good. But uh, no no more snow lately. No more snow. Uh got some in the mountains though. It was really pretty. I mean, just uh I live close enough. I can see the mountains from where I am. Oh, that's cool. When you can see the higher elevations and you know it's you can see the snow, that's pretty cool. That's kind of like being in, in Las Vegas. But yeah. but so yeah, the cold, even though it's cold in East Tennessee, doesn't always mean snow. No, no, that's for sure. You know, and a lot of it, uh, obviously they get, they get most of it up there and at the high altitudes of the park and the national park. Uh, but, uh, yeah. no, not so much down below, but, uh, wow, it's still beautiful. Doesn't make any difference, man. It's a great yeah. place to be. Yeah. That means old Brutus is hunkered down somewhere. Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Rod. So I got to ask this first before we get riding today. I saw a very interesting post on your social media just a few days ago that 43 years ago, the same week week that we're focusing on now in this stud cast was really a very special one or maybe not so special for you. Curious about that. You sold Southeastern wrestling and under the circumstances of what was going on back then, I'm curious about how you really felt about it. Can we start today with an answer to that? Man, I, I'd love to, Dave. That's a that's a great way to start, I'd say. You know, uh, and uh, you know, basically, that's what these stud casts are all about. Uh, it's that's it's my true wrestling history, be it good or bad. And uh, and I probably experienced more ups and downs in uh, my less than twenty years in the profession uh, as a wrestling promoter and and you know in my career and. And uh, that's uh, maybe uh, more than <laughs> more than anybody in the sport, actually. You know, uh, all these ups and downs. Forty years, forty-three years ago this week, yep, I did sell my first territory. Only five years after, I had struggled my after I tried to get it up and running, and we've been through all that with these stud casts. And I'd struggled mightily to attain success, man, and and it was not a happy sale. Is not as happy as I would have liked for it to have been, obviously. But at the same time, it did release me, man, from the most stressful seven months in my life, man. The Knoxville war just was, it was wearing me down fast. Uh, it's a pretty horrible experience. Uh, so at the end, man, I dealt with the war, uh, something few promoters had ever had to do while operating at the same time, two territories. And I was really lucky to walk away basically with any sale. Uh, wrestling wars could destroy territories, and uh, and uh, they were horrible for wrestlers, 
just as bad as, as, as promoters, basically. But the fans were the real losers. Uh, they didn't know basically what was happening. No one, no one was going to tell them what's going on here. That we got a war going on between two companies. Right. Right. And, uh, and eventually, there was a poor wrestling fan. They were going to be left for no wrestling at all. And that's what happened in Knoxville. Uh, uh, that all crashed. Uh, the opposition left. Uh, I sold out. The people that bought me out, uh, they didn't make it. So. The Knoxville War ultimately led to the destruction, man, of a vibrant and historic small territory, as good as any territory in the sports history, man, to be honest with you. And then over the next two years after the sale uh, to the Georgia promoters, I sold it to Jim Barnett and Fred Ward, who were promoters out of Georgia. Uh, They experienced failure in the first two years. They sold it to Ric Flair, Blackjack Mulligan. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Jim Crockett uh, was kind of involved with them. Uh, they bought out uh, Barnett and Ward, and uh, they were the next ones to lose money there, man. And uh, so within about three years, uh, it was it was pretty pretty bad. It was all gone, man. And that you know they were in a territory that was at one time, Dave, doing multi million dollar a year business. Wow. wow, wow, we had built a really great company. But the biggest losers of all, Dave, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. were the tremendous fans, man, that made Southeastern so successful. By 1982, three years after the war began and two years after it ended, the in, that entire part of the country was really dead to wrestling for a long time. Wow, how quickly it can go away. So obviously I can see this whole subject is going to be really fascinating as we get closer to the Knoxville War of 1979. It, it's what happened in 1985 stud that's the beautiful part of this story and what makes it so special can you tell us about that well yeah basically about six years after the war uh, no one had been able to come back to knoxville and revive wrestling there uh southeastern gulf coast had become uh, uh down south there just southeastern uh there was just one company not two then Southeastern turned into CCW, Continental Championship Wrestling, in 1985. And then in 1985, we returned to Tennessee, man, with a lot of those old stars that had been there in the 1970s. Uh, and then we had some great new stars in that company of, of Continental. And the uh, first time we went back to Tennessee, we sold out that Coliseum on the very first show, sold it out on almost every show thereafter. Basically, we came back six years later and uh, and made wrestling bigger than it had ever been in Knoxville. Wow. That's what I call a triumphant return, no doubt. So much great wrestling history is ahead for us to look forward to. Now, let's talk about the title of this episode Southeastern Cards and TVs, November 10th, 1978. That's the title of this episode. How is, how's the response been to fans picking their favorite cards on your social media sites for the first time? You started this thing last week. What's that been like? Well, man, that's been great, Dave. It's been a great deal of response. So it's, uh, I've been uh, really surprised with it. And I want to thank everybody that participated, obviously. And and in fact, I had one fan that suggested that the fans might want to do more than just pick their favorite card because we talk about uh, two territories, two cards, and we also talk about two TVs. So, uh, you know, his suggestion was why don't give them the opportunity to pick not just the best card, but the best TV out of each stud cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that made a lot of sense to me. So this week, as soon as fans listen to this episode, they can look for the post, just like I did last week. I posted on the social media sites where to to make your pick. And this time they can make their pick not only for the best card, but they can make their pick for the best TV show. Sometimes the card was really good, but the TV show might not have been as good as a television show where the card wasn't the best. Right. So... I think it'll be interesting to see see how this is going to work out. Yeah, what if they picked Nashville had the best or Knoxville? What am I saying? Knoxville had the best card, but Dothan had the best TV show, for example. So, yeah, yeah, I right. think that happened. So it sounds like the interva- interactive element deal is is really is the fans are really getting into it, and if you just keep expanding that, 
then uh, then you you you're gonna get them hooked. So that's cool. All right. So where do we ride today? Well, we're going to head obviously into southeastern Knoxville first, and the card uh, we talked about in the title was for November the tenth, nineteen seventy eight, and uh, it was an extremely uh, important uh, TV because we're in the rating period, and that TV is promoting the card, but it's also making sure we got big audience so that we're going to make our television stations happy. And then uh, we're going to give everybody the results of that card and the attendance for the event. And then we're going to ride 500 miles south, man, the southeastern Gulf Coast. We're going to talk about the card there. It's in that same week of November 1978. And we'll break down that rating period uh, uh, and that TV show. Uh, the results of that card, we'll give everybody the results, and we'll give the attendance just like we've been doing down there in the Southern Territory on uh, all three of the major markets. So then given enough time, man, we'll answer a new learning tree question as well. All right, Ron, so that's that sounds good. So what was the card in Knoxville? Let's go to Friday night, November 10th, 1978. Well, man, this one, Dave, had a very confusing, uh, great opening match uh, that started things off. Uh, and it started out the whole night off basically with a big question mark. Bob Root was returning on this card to face with face off with Mike Stallings. He'd been gone for about a month or more. And the Mass Destroyer was also on this card. So... Uh, then we got a mixed tag that was second event, uh, newcomer, Mighty Yankee, another pretty darn good wrestler, man, respected wrestler, been around for a long time, had come in. He was teamed with uh, Suzanne Ferreira and Terry Gibbs uh, against Terry Gibbs and Judy Glover. It's going to be a mixed tag match, uh, which we didn't do that very often, but uh, we took the new boy, Mighty Yankee, and put him in there with uh, Terry Gibbs. Had a couple ladies there, too. Third match was $10,000 bounty match. Kevin Sullivan uh, was now offering the money for someone to, to put Ron Wright in the hospital. Uh, things had changed dramatically. <laughs> and uh, Tommy Rich, who was a friend of Kevin Sullivan, uh, came along and decided he wanted to take up the offer, and he was going to try to put Ron Wright in the hospital and get that ten grand. Then the last Southeastern Tag Championship match between the – Four wrestlers that were, were definitely uh, was going to be the last of the tag matches that between the Dennis Condry, Phil Ickerson, Jimmy Golden, and Rip Smith. And the reason that was going to happen is because uh, the losing team in this one, this is a very unusual clause in this match. Mm -hmm. The losing team had to split up for at least a year. Oh. So <laughs> if they lost. They're not going to be wrestling together as a team anywhere uh, in Southeastern for at least a year. Then the main event was a really good one, uh, and it, it had something special added to it. Uh, Ken Lucas was going to team up with Ronnie Garvin, and they were going to take on the Destroyer, who everybody assumed is, is a Bob Root. But, uh, you know, at this point, who knows? And then uh, also uh, Roop's partner and or the Destroyer's partner is going to be the great Malenko. And <laughs> to go along with this, then Kevin Sullivan is going to be returning to the matches, but he wasn't going to be a contestant yet. He was, uh, he was still suffering from that shoulder breaker, mm -hmm. but he was going to be handcuffed to Ron Wright. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's a lot going on with that card. Bob Roop in two matches, one as himself, the other as the Destroyer. Tommy Rich going after Sullivan's bounty money against Ron Wright. One of the two tag teams having their last match together for a year. And Sullivan is handcuffed to Ron Wright. This had to be a great TV. Well, man, it was the, the first of four TVs in, the, in a row on Saturday during the month of November that were a part of uh, everybody across the country's uh, TV rating periods. Arbitron and Nielsen, this is their, this is their time that they go to work. And uh, obviously this was taking place in 1978. Uh, great TV. Uh, Les opened the TV uh, by announcing that Ron Wright's Southeastern Tag Champions were going to be defending on television that day. So that we already had in the very first of 
program that's involved in that uh, monthly TV rating. Uh, we're going to have a tag team championship match on television. And then when the cameras backed away from the close-up shot of Les, uh, he was sitting there with Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith. And uh, they watched the results of a Texas death tag match from the week before, actually it's from the night before, where they had lumberjacks around the ring and uh, they were wrestling for the tag championship that night. And the video uh, was joined in progress and it started out with Ron Wright, uh, who was the champ's manager, uh, pile driving Jimmy Golden on the concrete, man, the Coliseum concrete, and then throwing him back in the ring. And like I said, it was a lumberjack match, so there was a bunch of wrestlers around the ring to keep guys in. But they were all on the opposite side of the ring because Dennis Condry was getting in and out of the ring and drawing people, his attention, especially the referee, away from what Ron Wright was doing to Jimmy Golden on the far side of the ring. So then Golden and Smith, uh, they asked Les to stop the video as soon as Golden uh, failed to reach his feet. Uh, in the Texas death match. And basically that was the point the match was over and they admitted that they had lost again in their, in their latest quest for the title for the belts. Uh, and then, then they said what they wanted to do was they wanted to wait, make one more, have one more match, make one more challenge, their last chance to be champions. And they brought a pre-signed contract by both of them for the match to the set and it stated that the losing team for this title match would not be partners or even ask for another chance for the belts for at least a year. So um, studio crowd, they were kind of stunned by that. It seemed like a desperate request, you know, as far as Golden and Smith were concerned. And uh, so uh, then Jimmy and uh, Smith went to the ring uh, for the first match of the first match of that show. And, uh, Ron Wright wasn't stunned, though. Uh, he heard what they had said, and, uh, and but he was confused about the terms of the contract. So he came running to the set, as Ron Wright was, was uh, always doing if he felt like it. He interrupted everything with Les, and, uh, and he started screaming, I want to accept that challenge. And uh, he asked Les uh, how that how that couldn't be a great deal. He goes, wow, what a great deal for me and my team. He goes, well, you know, this is an opportunity to get rid of two thorns in our side, man, eliminate them. And, uh, and there's no repercussions here to my team, right? So Les was kind of confused because Wright was really confused and Les got to interrupt him, you know, and uh, thinking that he was confused and he was trying to tell him, Les, that I was trying to let him know that, wait a minute, you know, this is – this contract uh, ain't for both teams, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, so then Wright screamed for Les to shut up. You know, he wouldn't let him even explain that, hey, your team don't have to split up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so then Wright screamed to shut up, and he said, give me that contract. And, uh, and it was sitting there on his desk. So Les tried to stop him. No, wait a minute, Ron, you don't really understand what you're doing here. And, oh, shut up. I know you're trying to mess me around. And uh, so he signed the contract. Well, then, you know, the studio audience and Jimmy Golden and uh, Rip Smith, who were in the train in the ring, uh, you know, they didn't know what was going on. Hmm. But I'm sure everybody at home was happy about what just had happened. You know, basically, uh, Wright tied his team into a deal in which he may lose his own team, right? So um, everybody except Condry and Hickerson, you know, uh, uh, they they all rushed to the set, man. Those two guys saw what he was doing. They figured out what Les was trying to do him a favor, and they screamed at Wright, like, what have you done, man? What did you do? And then so, you know, then Wright finally figured out, oh, gosh, wait a minute now. Hey, then uh, so, you know, Les says, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but there's a match going on up here. Y'all can go back to the dressing room. Take it, but take it out of here. Right. You know, so uh, they started to, you know, so right. Uh, they got off to a pretty sorry start for him. And so then Les uh, couldn't force him. He, had, uh, he couldn't get him off the set. Even during the commercial break before the first interview. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, because Ron Wright was just like, wait a minute, no, I'm not going anywhere. You know, this is wrong. I didn't, I didn't mean that. And so then Golden and Smith, you know, instead of being at the set where they were going to do that first interview from, mm-hmm. they got routed into Studio B. And then when the show came back on the air, Wright was screaming about how he'd been cheated, thinking the contract was only for the challengers, you know. <laughs> and, and then he took the contract and he tore it up. You know, and like, now that's all over. Now, now let's start all over again. And, uh, you know, so uh, <laughs> that didn't work, obviously, for him. So it didn't make any difference. So when Les cut away to Studio B for Golden and Smith's rebuttal, they were ecstatic, man. They heard they'd heard time enough to hear about what had happened during their match. And the <laughs> right signature now put his team future on the line as well as theirs. Mm-hmm. So they reminded Les and Ron Wright that thousands and thousands of people had watched him sign that contract <laughs> and now him and his team going to have to pay the price. Can I get a witness? So that's a great opening stud. All right. So what happened next? Well, Bob Roop uh, was, <laughs> was wrestling and uh, he came out to wrestle in a completely new outfit and what the one he had been wrestling in. Uh, and then he made his first appearance there in six weeks. He'd been gone for six weeks. Uh, he'd been gone since his loss to Kevin Sullivan, and uh, and that's the same week that this mass destroyer happened to arrive. And the mass destroyer just happened to be wearing Bob Roop's outfit. So Roop got another win uh, in his TV match uh, with the shoulder breaker. And another opponent got carried out of the ring. Everybody did if you got that move put on you. And uh, then he went to the set with Les, and uh, he made the second interview. Uh, and he, you know, in the second interview, uh, Les told me, because uh, I didn't see this actual interview or this show, but uh, Les told me that, that uh, Root disavowed any knowledge of a wrestler named The Destroyer, that he'd never – heard of him, seen him before, and that uh, he'd received an injury from Kevin Sullivan a few weeks back, and uh, and he now he was well and he was back to compete. And then he asked Les, you know, he says, wait a minute, you know, if I'm on this card and this destroyer's on this card, why would any wrestler want to wrestle twice in the same card in the same night? And uh, he said, he did, he said I'm going to go beat Mike Stallings. That's who I'm booked with. And then I'm going to go out there and watch this destroyer that everybody's talking about. So the personality profile was with Ron Wright uh, and his, his boys, and they still hadn't, hadn't got their stuff together. They were still having problems figuring things out. And uh, Bob Root came on that personality profile with them. Wright demanded, uh, you know, that, uh, that that's time uh, – he wanted to come back. He wanted to spend some time for He wanted to bring his good buddy, Bob Roop, on here with him. And uh, he wanted to explain his earlier mistake and how he accidentally signed the wrong contract and uh, for his team defense. And he wanted to get it all settled before the show was over today. So Les Hap allowed him to go ahead and, and say hello, basically, to Bob Roop and welcome him back, pat him on the back and the whole deal. And uh and then Les uh, told him, you know, he said, Bob, he says, you know, uh, Ron, I, I got to let you know uh, that you ain't getting out of the tag team contract he just signed. And uh, and that, uh, you know, that he had scheduled uh, him for the personality profile, but it wasn't for the reason that they were out there now. It was for a very special announcement that he had just for Ron. So Ron was still upset about his tag team match, obviously, and uh, – and it suddenly got a lot worse because Les informed him that he was going to be involved in another match the following Friday. Uh, so, you know, they, and he said, you're going to be involved in the main event in which Ronnie Garvin and Ken Lucas are facing off with the great Malenko and the Destroyer. And, uh, and then Wright got real happy all of a sudden. He got excited. He, you know, he says, gosh, that's great. I'm glad to hear I'm going to be in their corner. Uh, you know, and I'm going to be in their corner. That's going to ensure the, those guys a victory, you know. And uh, so then Les said, uh, you know, uh, but he says, you know, uh, we had another <laughs> another guest uh, for this profile, Ron. And he's in Studio B right now. And that uh, this wrestler is also going to be involved in that main event tag. 
uh, next Friday night. And then, and then he said, in fact, Ron, he's going to be handcuffed to you. And so suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, then they, they shot over to Studio B, and there was Kevin <laughs> Sullivan, man. And, and the studio crowd obviously erupted, man, like, wow, there's Kevin. He's back. He's going to be handcuffed to right. And uh, Kevin was all smiles, man, and he was spinning <laughs> a pair of handcuffs around his finger. Uh, uh, he said he can't wait. He told him, fans, he said, I can't wait until uh, Friday night. And and I get Ron Wright put in this set of handcuffs with me, and we're face to face. And uh, boy, Wright and all, um, and his team and uh, Roop, they were all screaming. Les just threw it to the ring, man. Just <laughs> get right out of the profile. And Wright was just having himself a pretty horrible day. Uh, and then it was the Southeastern Tag. The next match was the Southeastern Tag Championship match. It was that championship match for TV that we basically put on there to make sure that we were going to build some ratings during that month of November. And uh, they wrestled against Condry and Hickerson, and they wrestled against two great young wrestlers, man. I call them two young stallions, man, at this point. They wrestled against Mike Stallings and Terry Gibbs. And those two wrestlers had not lost a match. They had a bunch of single matches. They hadn't been in a tag. But neither of those two wrestlers had lost a match in five straight weeks. They'd been there. So this match, man, it tore the studio up, Les said, man. I mean, probably in most fans at homes as well, obviously. And the two young stars uh, almost got a win, Les said, many times, several times before Terry Gibbs finally got pinned. Uh, So obviously, uh, Condry and Hickerson were a phenomenal team, and they just kept being able to win. Then the TV show ended uh, with uh, the third match. Got uh, Ronnie Garvin and Ken Lucas uh, tuned in. You know, they, uh, they really were basically tuning up their tag combinations. For six nights later, they're going to be against Malenko and Destroyer. And obviously, uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan's going to be handcuffed to Ron Wright. That's a great TV, Ron. On the first week of the November rating period on top of that. All right, so what happened six days later in the arena? Well, Bob Roop uh, beat Mike Stallings in, uh, in his very first match back, uh, and uh, that wasn't a, a – nobody was really surprised at that one, I don't believe. Uh, Terry Gibbs got a win over the Mighty Yankee in that mixed ladies and men tag team match, which a very popular match. Uh, it was a great way not bring just the ladies in by themselves, but to have a lady and a man on each team. And uh, so that was a good event. Uh, fans really loved it. Uh, Ron Wright got a rare win over Tommy Rich in the $10,000 bounty match. But he had a little help from Bob Roop. He didn't just outright just beat Tommy Rich. Uh, Tommy was about to beat him and uh, and about to hurt him. And uh, Bob Roop came in and 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 put the shoulder breaker on Tommy. And uh, Tommy was Tommy was carried out of there too, man. I mean, Roop was pretty well uh, decimating a whole lot of people back in those days. Uh, Jimmy Golden uh, lost again in the Southeastern Tag Championship match. And uh, it was the one in which the losing team had to split up for one year. And uh, it was going to be Knoxville's loss of Golden. Uh, you know, Jimmy was going to be leaving after this match. Uh, but the fans 500 miles to the south, down there in the Gulf Coast, were going to love Jimmy Golden. They had never seen him wrestle, and he was headed south. Uh, Ronnie Garvin, Ken Lucas won the tag match with the great Malenko and the Destroyer. And both Wright and Sullivan, at the end of it, when they unhandcuffed them, they got involved. They couldn't help it. Uh, All six of them were fighting out there on the floor. And uh, so Garvin and Lucas and Sullivan are going to be coming back the following week in a six-man elimination tag against the Malenko, the Destroyer, and Bob Root. (laughs) Okay, all right, wait. Bob Roop and the Destroyer were going to both be in the same match at the same time, stud. Okay. All right, so what was the attendance for this one? 
Well, we'll find out uh, next week to answer that Bob Root and Destroyer question, man. Uh, but uh, this mm-hmm. event was in the Jacobs Building. It was back in Chihuahua Park. It drew about uh, almost 4,000 fans, 3,900. Uh, and the building only held a little over 4,000. So it was a pretty darn good crowd. Okay, i got to ask, Ron, so where have you been in the last two weeks? You, you've really not been on any card at all. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, I hadn't. And, and I'd lost, uh, obviously, a loser leads match to Don Carson about two weeks earlier in, uh, down there in the Gulf Coast. And I, and I kind of talked to my partners, man. We had a conversation, and, uh, you know, and, and they said, you know, Ron, uh, you've, you've been working both these territories um, basically for almost an entire year here. And, uh, you know, they said, uh, you know, we think you, you should take off a little bit. You need you 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 deserve a, a couple of weeks off, maybe a few weeks off. So uh, it was really nice of them. So I'm not working on these cards, but I will be getting back into action uh, pretty soon. Uh and, and it will be in southeastern Knoxville. Actually, it'll be in the next studcast because uh, I'm going to be a surprise opponent on TV. And I'm going to be meeting Great Malenko for his TV trophy. Uh, and I'm hoping that that's going to ensure another great rating month there, man, uh, that uh, I think fans will be really surprised to see me. And I said earlier uh, – as I said a minute ago, Jimmy Golden was going to be entering southeastern Gulf Coast for the first time ever. He had worked down there. He's going to be taking my place, baby, uh, uh, basically as a top baby face. Wow. All right, so there's so much going on every week back in those days, no doubt about it. So I think this is a good place for a break. Let's do that when we return we're going to be riding into southeastern Gulf Coast to find out what was happening in Alabama and in the Florida Panhandle in November of 1978. That's coming up next when this Studcast continues. Okay, Studcast fans, to participate in Studcast number 275's interactive best card and TV pick for this Studcast, and if you're friends with Ron on Facebook and Twitter and you've already listened to the show, simply find his post for Studcast number 275, make your picks for the best card and TV show in this episode, and leave them there. And if you're not already a friend on Facebook, go to his Ron Fuller the Tennessee Stud page, like him and follow him there, and automatically become friends on twitter simply go to his ron fuller welch site and follow him there then find his post and leave your picks thanks for becoming a part of his interactive studcast all right welcome back fans david summers and the tennessee stud ron fuller studcast number 275 so let's get back into it how about the card in the week of november 10th 1978 for all three major markets in southeastern Gulf Coast, Alabama cities. What you got? Well, we stop. This one opens up with, uh, and this is another great card, man. Uh, six matches. Uh, uh, Ricky Fields uh, is going up against Burhead Jones. Uh, that opens up with a babyface match, which I always like to do that occasionally as often as possible. And and then the uh, second match was the wrestling pro. He was going to be taking on the the new European star that was in the territory, Sir Winston. Uh, Roy Lee Welch was going to be wrestling against Norvell Austin. Uh, there was a $1,000 bonus uh, for winning the Four Corners match that happened in the last stud cast, but nobody won it because uh, David Schultz and Charlie Cook both got disqualified. And so this time – it was going to be just the two of them. No four corners this time. It's just the two of them. And uh, we're going to jump that money from $1,000. we are going to double it up to 2000 So the winner of this one is going to get $2,000 bonus. Then there was a special tag match was on this card. And uh, both my father uh, as Rob's second and Gorgeous George Jr. as the Stompers manager had gotten involved in the Southeastern title match from the week before. So this time is going to be a tag match with all four of those guys in the ring. Uh, then the last match was going to be Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. And they were robbed of their belts from the week before. And they were coming back in a return Southeastern tag championship match with the new champions at this point, which was Don Carson and assassin number one managed by Billy Spears. Okay, so that's a great six-match card. So what happened on the first TV show 
in the November 1978 rating period? Well, the first show opened up the way it closed the week before. Actually, uh, David Schultz had come to the ring at the end of the show. Uh, at, he went to the set with Charlie, and he challenged Tony Charles for his TV trophy uh, uh, on the next show. And that video uh, was then followed instantly by another one from the end of that same show last week. And it was Tony Charles coming out at the very end. Uh, he had just been busted open in the match before by Carson and the assassin. And he came out to basically uh, accept David Schultz's challenge, man. said, I'll, I'll take him on. Heck yes, I'll be glad to. So then uh, Charlie Platt was the next person seen. Obviously, so it was a new opening, a different type of opening. Came right in to David Schultz. It went right straight to Tony Charles accepting the challenge, and then right straight to Charlie Platt uh, with the normal opening. And uh, so as he opened the show, uh, they had the beautiful, you know, then beautiful TV show was going to TV trophy was going to be defended on this show, this show that we're about to talk about. And along with two other tag matches going to be on this show at a single match. And Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles were going to be on the personality profile. So he basically kind of gave them a tease of what they were going to see today. And then Charlie, right off the bat, invited out the new Southeastern tag champions and uh, invited their manager, obviously, to the set. Don Carson, the assassin, and manager Billy Spears uh, came out and they watched what happened on the end of last week's TV show. And uh, basically, they watched themselves get involved in the last match. And uh, and it was a tag match, uh, you know, uh, going on at that point with Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. And it showed Don Carson in the course of this uh, ending of this match, uh, loading his black glove and, uh, and busting Tony Charles's eye. And uh, the three of them laughed about that. And then uh, they held up their new belts over their heads because since that TV, they had won the championship. Now they were the new tag champions. And Spears were saying they were looking forward to successfully defending them this week. And they were going to be defending them against, obviously, Bob Armstrong and uh, Tony Charles. They were getting a return match. And uh, obviously, the studio crowd didn't like it very much. They weren't real happy, I don't think, with their new champions. And then they went to the ring. Uh, they had the first match of the card. And they really riled up the crowd when they got to the ring. They had an even bigger celebration out there in the middle of the ring. And then they got their first TV win as tag champions. And then the next fan favorite uh, that showed up on the scene was Charlie Cook. And he was sporting a busted eye. Compliments of David Schultz, and uh, and he was invited to the set and to watch what had happened to him the night before in the Four Corners match in Dothan. And he and David Schultz, you know, it ended up uh, the last two in the ring, and ultimately both of them got disqualified. Charlie got his eye busted, and uh, the thousand dollar bonus money for that match it turned into two thousand dollars at this point, and so uh, Southeastern uh, opened its doors. Uh, you know, these guys, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Dave, uh, they'd been going at it basically against each other, basically since the first day Southeastern Gulf Coast opened its doors. <laughs> it was about nine months later. Mm -hmm. They're still battling at it with each other. And uh, so the both of the Charlies on Charlie, Charlie and Charlie Platt and Charlie Cook are on the set, and they discussed the fact that the $1,000 bonus was now 2000 uh, for the upcoming return match. And then Charlie Cook, uh, who was a former Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker. I don't know if uh, how much that's been mentioned, but was a great athlete, man. So he went to the ring, uh, and wow, he got a tremendous uh, roar of applause, Rob told me later. You know, and he got himself another big TV win. So then both of he and Schultz had their say after that with the uh, uh, interview. About the $2,000 bonus match. Uh, so, and then Bob Armstrong and them were on the profile, Tony Charles. They were both on the profile together. They they watched the video, one from Mobile, Alabama, man, of how they lost the Southeastern belts. Uh, they had the new champions on first already, so they got an opportunity to show just exactly how they got cheated out of it. And, uh, and I described it. 
uh, last stud cast is a, you know, when I described the way that I didn't really go into how they lost, but I said that, uh, you know, that the team that won it, Carson and the Assassin, against all odds, had won the championship. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't exactly entirely correct because uh, they're going to show this video. And, uh, and it took outside interference for more than just their manager, Billy Spears, to get the win for them. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous George Jr. had a hand in it as well. Uh-huh. So Bob and Tony were very confident they were going to get the belts back, and the studio audience was 100% in agreement, obviously. They were really, really adored by fans. And then Charlie opened the next segment with Robert, my father, at the set. And they watched a video from Montgomery the Monday night before this TV show was recorded where Rob was going for the Southeastern title of the Mongolian Stomper. And gorgeous George Jr. got involved at the end of the match, and so did my father. Uh, he was out there and uh, kind of a second in Rob, and uh, obviously gorgeous George Jr.'s out there uh, supporting the Mongolian Stomper. And uh, my dad and uh, George and all four of them got into it, and they were going to be coming back in a tag match with my dad and uh, Gigi, both inside the ring rather than outside for this next one. And then they both went to the ring, Rob and Dad, and they they got a huge hand from the studio crowd, and (laughs) they got themselves a big win. Both of them won with a fuller leg lock, man. Pretty darn unusual way to end the match. (laughs) And uh, then they did their interview about the upcoming match from another studio, and that gave the Stomper another opportunity, man, to ride the studio crowd. (laughs) See, I was wondering if that was going to happen in this TV show. I think the – I think the Stomper would have been dis- very disappointed not to have had that opportunity. That's fun right there. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I didn't see this one because uh, I was basically in the Knoxville area at this point. I'd kind of gone home after losing that loser leave to Don Carson. And, and Charlie told me later that the Stomper made the best out of it, man. Although it was only a two-minute interview that he was scheduled for, Charlie said the Stomper got the ball rolling early, uh, I'm I'm making a charge from the dressing room when the commercial break was still in progress. The interview hadn't started. So he wanted to attack the fans before the interview even began. So when the show came back on the air and Charlie was at the set, the fans at home, they had to be wondering what the heck was going on. There was pandemonium screaming and everybody's running around the studio. (laughs) And, you know, they're wondering like, what the heck happened? So then the last match of the show was Tony Charles defending his TV trophy for the first time since he'd won it. David Schultz had been waiting for this moment since he lost to Charles in the finals of the TV trophy uh, in the big tournament, which was probably about six weeks earlier, actually, at this point. And they had a spectacular match uh, Charlie told me they really, it was amazing. He said it lasted about 25 minutes, which is a long match for TV. And uh, Charlie said it was the kind of match that made wrestling fans, man, out of those people that didn't believe. And and Tony's cut, which he had gotten the last TV show right at the end of it. Carson hit him with the loaded glove. Uh, That cut opened up again, and he started to bleed toward the end of the match. Uh, Rob said the fans were absolutely electric in the studio, man. They were all standing up on the bleachers, man. It was like a, it was like a big main event in a, in a big building. So, uh, you know, uh, Schultz ended up winning, and he took a shortcut at the end, obviously using Tony's trucks for the leverage to beat him. Uh, and all of the heels came out of the dressing room to congratulate him, man. And uh, that just added more heat to his win. Uh, Schultz was on fire, Rob said in the last interview, that he didn't put his trophy down uh, since he had won it. He just carried it around with him doing the interview and everything. And uh, and I, I could tell, uh, you know, Rob said he had really got some heat in the interview. And I could tell uh, that that uh, David Schultz had impressed my brother, man. Uh, you know, and Rob even told me himself again, he said, I, I gained a whole new perspective of what Schultz can do in the future, man, and, and what a star he's going to be. 
See, I always thought David Schultz was going to be a, a big star too. I didn't, but I didn't know Southeastern Gulf Coast was really one of the first territories that he ever worked in. So he really got his start to, with you guys. Right. Well, he actually started in Southeastern Knoxville first, but uh, I put him in that first crew, man. When mm-hmm. we started to go south to open up Southeastern Gulf Coast, I, I gave him a spot in that first crew because I felt he had a, he had it. And then he yeah. was going to be a scar, star, and wow, did he really actually do that. <laughs> and he's still a great friend of mine, man. We talked to each other quite a bit. And some of his best stories, when you talk to Schultz, and uh, I've heard other guys say that Schultz's best stories are about the guy who trained him, which was Herb Welch, my grandfather's brother. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. And, uh, you know, Dave's got some great stories about the Welches. Yeah, no doubt. And, man, what a legend. So, all right, what happened at the matches with that great card you mentioned earlier? Okay, uh, let's start out. Uh, Ricky Fields and Burhead Jones had a very good babyface match, a very good one, uh, according to Rob. And uh, I'm sure he was watching these matches because when you're a booker, you want to see everything that's going on. Uh, Ricky won the match. Uh, Sir Winston from Europe, he got his first win over the wrestling pro. Roy Lee Welch uh, was really a little overpowered, man, and he lost to Norvell Austin. Norvell had a great future in Southeastern Gulf Coast. He is going to be part of one of the greatest tag teams of all time, the Midnight Express of one of the first three-man teams in in the history of the sport. Uh, Norvell's future is really going to be big. Uh, David Schultz and Charlie Cook, they went at it once again, man, for, you know, and and this time it was for the $2,000 prize that had doubled from the four-corner match from the week before. And this one had the same result as the first one. Uh, both men got disqualified again. Uh, and they were going to be facing each other again the next week for the 2000 But there was going to be much more than that at stake in this one. It's, they were going to have a loser-leave match. Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, loser-leave, one of the two wrestlers that had that both helped uh, build the territory we're going to be leaving after more than eight months man down there in paradise <laughs> all right so having watched these two from the early days of southeastern gulf coast i know what they meant to you i mean to me to you the fans everybody and the future even of the territory that came to be known as paradise well, they were both special, Dave, and that, that's for sure. And uh, and then speaking of special, that was what the next match was called, man, a special tag match. Uh, it was with Rob and my father in the ring. Uh, they were both going to be going up against a Mongolian stomper and gorgeous George Jr., uh, who was normally his, you know, his stomper's manager. And my father had been very lucky, man, not to be injured over the past three weeks in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory down there, where he had been uh, in way too many matches that I thought anyway, and uh, against dangerous opponents. And uh, and his luck kind of ran out on this card. Uh, the Mongolian Stomper ended his run down there, and uh, as Robert was dealing with GG, uh, the Stomper managed to get get my father down long enough to bounce off the ropes like he loved to do. And when he came back, uh, he sailed through the air like he like he loved to do, and they stomped my dad right in the face and knocked him unconscious. And then the stomper had to cover him for the pin. I mean, he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, and, then, and he was carried from the ring on a stretcher in the front of a building full of fans, man, that Rob said were all on their feet. And cheering, wow. cheering wow. dad. It's like a tribute to him. Yeah. You know, he might have might have been being carried out, but uh it wasn't uh wasn't because they didn't like him. And then the last match on that card was a return match for the Southeastern Tag Championship. And the former champions, Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles, were getting their chance to win the belts back against the new champions, Carson and Assassin, managed by Spears. And uh, this match was videoed from Mobile, Alabama, and wow, it was a wild one. Uh, 
uh, and, and Rob said it was wild. And once he told me about it, I had to agree. And uh, it's going to kind of change the direction of everything that had happened since the night that Assassin Number Two and I had lost our loser leave matches, which is about three weeks earlier. You know, this this what happened in this match in Mobile is really going to make a um, a huge impact, have a huge impact on what's going on southeastern Gulf Coast. And all that began with Bob Armstrong at the end of that match. Rob said he's Rob started a tremendous comeback, not just on Carson and the assassin, but Spears tried to get involved. And Bob was just uh, taking care of all three of them by himself. And he had the assassin pinned for the win. And the referee was counting him out. And then gorgeous George Jr. came in the ring, which, you know, uh, he had a big friendship with Billy Spears. And uh, so when he came in the ring, instead of going after Bob, he dropped an elbow in the referee's back before the referee could finish counting counting the the assassin out. And uh, when that happened, then Tony Charles, he tore into both Spears and Gigi. And uh, I'm sure Tony Charles, I can just uh, imagine him beating the hell out of two managers, man, (laughs) and enjoying it. And then Armstrong, uh, during the course of all this, while Tony's over there, the referee don't know where to go in a situation like this. Uh, And he's down anyway. He's had to, he's had to. He's had uh, Gigi come in and drop his elbow in his back. So Armstrong got snatched up by the assassin, and and he held him, and Don Carson loaded his glove. And when he went to nail Bob, Bob ducked, and the assassin got it. And uh, then Bob headbutted Carson. Carson went flying out of the ring, and Bob covered the assassin. Uh, Referee was still down. Uh, you know, he wasn't expecting to, to have an elbow dropped in his back, and uh, and he was still kind of uh, not able to get on his hands and knees even. And uh, so while uh, Bob's covering the assassin and waiting on the referee, the Mongolian stomper comes. I uh, guess he sees what's going on with Gigi and uh, uh, Tony Charles beating the heck out of his, his manager. Mm-hmm. So uh, – Stomper came in, he stomped Bob in the back of the head, and he turned up. And that was the second wrestler that night that he had turned his lights out. And my dad was the first one that night. <laughs> Stomper had a big night. I stomped my dad in the face and Bob in the back of the head. And then Carson covered Armstrong, and the referee called over and counted him out. And the ref couldn't get up. He couldn't even raise the, the heels' hands because – he still he still hurt from being uh, have that elbow dropped in his back, but it didn't make any difference because Davis was mobile and all hell broke loose, man. Yep. As you can imagine, man, after this kind of match, I'd seen it there many times before mm-hmm. during my during my time down there, and uh, so every policeman in the building. Uh, surrounded these five heels, man, and they escorted them back to the dressing room. And Rob said, man, the projectiles, he called it. He said, Ron, projectiles <laughs> was coming from the crowd everywhere, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what do you mean projectiles? You, you, what do you think, Rod? Bottles and whatever they could find. He said they were couldn't get to him, so they were throwing things at him, you know, so – so uh, it was a wild event. <laughs> it's, I mean, it really sounds like a dangerous situation, especially in Mobile, Alabama in 1978. I can see why they called it a wild match and how it was going to change the direction of everything in southeastern Gulf Coast. So let's hear about attendance in all three cities where this card took place. Well, we were basically uh, – now we're into – you know, November, uh, which is the fall of the year. Uh, it's it's uh, just before Thanksgiving, uh, and it's a very, very tough time for wrestling. And Montgomery, though, uh, in spite of all that, Montgomery still drew 3,500 people that to that, that card. Uh, they drew 4,800 in Expo Hall in Mobile, and Dothan was uh, over 4,000, 4,300 people in Dothan. Uh, it was a more than a thousand fans less than the week before, but uh, mm. it was still good. All right, I have an idea that what just happened in Mobile on this card was going to jump the crowds again. 
All right, so I think it's time for another learning tree question, Stud. Can you believe we made it? This one comes from a very kind lady, Barbara Stokes, who asked, how old was your father when he was wrestling in these Gulf Coast matches you recently talked about? And were you and your brother concerned about him? I guess she's saying at that age. So that's a pretty good question. Yeah, it is, man. You know, I actually been expecting this type of question, Dave, uh, since we started talking about my dad getting back in the ring. And uh, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, you know, and he probably had been in there too many times and against the wrong guys. And uh, so, uh, Miss Stokes, uh, I think that was your that was her last name. Uh, I can almost hear the concern in her voice, man, about the question, you know. So, uh, so let's begin with my father's age uh, when these matches were taking place in southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, he was born in 1927, and uh, these matches didn't take place until 1978. So, you know, if you do the math, uh, he was 51 years old at that time. And uh, my grandfather, Roy Welch, wrestled an, into his 50s. Right. Uh, you know, so it wasn't uncommon. There's my dad at 51. My granddad wrestled on into his 50s. And then he he had a hip that was so bad that he had to give it up. His brother, Herb, Roy's brother, Herb, and we mentioned a minute ago that trained David Schultz. He wrestled into his 60s. And 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 I and Miss Stokes, uh, you know, Bob Armstrong, who was who, who is a part of this studcast stayed in good shape and didn't have any bad injuries in his career to deal with in his latter years. And he wrestled into his seventies. So believe me, you know, my brother yeah. and I were both very concerned about my dad getting in the ring at that age. Yeah. Uh, but there were a lot of wrestlers over the years that wrestle far beyond their fifties. Yeah. And the problem for us was our father never listened to us about anything. <laughs> right. Right. He was very stubborn. He was a self-made man. He stayed in good shape and he believed he could do anything till he was 90, way way on up there, you know. So uh, so most importantly to him, you know, is uh is he wanted to uh personally help us get get his first wrestling company. He he was the one that started the original Gulf Coast Territory in 1954. He came down, he saw that this territory had been dead for a while, and he really seriously wanted to help us get it rolling again off the ground and make it successful like it had been 25 more than 20 years earlier. So to be honest with uh with Miss Stokes and uh, with the Miss Stokes uh Dad was really tough, you know, and uh, and I was almost more concerned about my father hurting one of the wrestlers than them hurting him. To be honest <laughs> with you, <laughs> so, so this this wasn't the last time that he insisted on getting involved either. Uh, mm. During the Knoxville War, which is going to be a year later, we're going to be talking about it soon in the Studcast. Uh, that, uh, you know, we continue to mention this. Uh, and uh, so Rob and I, uh, in 1979, we were going to turn our cousin, Jimmy Golden, uh, that fans knew was related to us at this point. This was in Knoxville uh, in 1979. And uh, we were going to turn Jimmy heel for the first time in his wrestling career. He'd mm -hmm. never been a heel before. Mm -hmm. And we were going to have him do it against the two of us, against me and Rob. Oh. Right? <laughs> And uh, so it was, you know, and, and because of what was going on in that in 19, uh, you know, in 1979, it was a very similar situation to the backstabbing treason that was actually going on to the territory in that summer of 1979. So the three of us uh, called dad up, you know, and we told him about our idea. And, you know, we, we what we're going to do with Jimmy and the whole deal and he said, uh, he said, I'm coming to Knoxville. He goes, I want to be a part of it. <laughs> and we're like, well, now, wait a minute. You know, we don't need you. And he, no, I'm going to be there. Right? He says, I'm coming, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was a great angle. I mean, we yeah. talked about it. And we he didn't actually come till two or three weeks later. It took a while to develop a real good angle. You wanted to really do it right. Right. And this one was was something special. Jimmy never been a heel. Uh, it's against family, the whole deal. So this angle ended with Jimmy 
being partners with my dad against one of the greatest Japanese teams ever in, in wrestling period, Toru Tanaka and Mr. Fuji. Wow. They had been champions in the WWF. You know, they, they were big-time stars, and uh, Takanaka had been there a bunch. Now Mr. Fuji had joined him, and Jimmy Golden and my dad are wrestling against Tanaka and Fuji. And in this match, Jimmy turned turned uh, turn on my dad. Hmm. Uh, wow. so, and when he did, the way he did it is he had Tanaka and Fuji hold dad. Pick him up. One grabbed him by the arms. The other grabbed him by the legs. And they held him up in the air rather than holding him on the mat They in the corner of the ring. And Jimmy jumped off the top rope on him, which meant that he didn't just get squashed by Jimmy coming down. Jimmy landed on him, and then both of them slammed on top of him. Wow. It was it was an extremely dangerous move, man. Yeah. And, uh, and it looked like it killed him. I mean, I thought it. I thought it really, really hurt him, and um, and that wasn't the last time he was in the ring. I mean, it was just a perfect example, kind of uh, how tough the old man was. I mean, <laughs> he, he, so, so you know, I hope this answers your question, Miss Stokes. You know, um, and when it came to wrestlers getting hurt, especially Welch's, the concern was better place for those guys that were messing with him. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Concern should be towards somebody else. <laughs> no doubt. Listen, listen, I thought we already had a fantastic stud cast before you answered the learning tree question, Ron. That was a shocking story that maybe I don't even know if you've ever told that one before. Or is that coming up in a stud cast? Folks are going to be asking about that. No wonder these stud casts are so popular and they are in a class of their own, no doubt. Hey, folks on Facebook. For those listeners who would like to participate in the dueling cards pick and now the TV pick as well, but are not already friends with Ron, you can become friends on Facebook by going to the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page, like him there, follow him there, and automatically become friends with a legend. Look for the Studcast number 275 post and make your choice. That's this Studcast number 275. On Twitter, find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. And if you have not already done so, follow him there too. That's another way to participate. Look for this studcast number 275 post to make your choices on Twitter. On the YouTube channel, it's Southeastern Rewind. It's filled with all kinds of information, videos, and studcasts. It's also a great place to find out more about what's new on his tremendous streaming channel, Classic Continental Wrestling. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com is where you find everything that is the Tennessee Stud. His old school Southeastern Continental and USA TV shows. Now number in the hundreds in the order which they were recorded. There are six two-hour stars of the sport. Super Stud cast with Andre the Giant, Mankind Mick Foley, Ron Wright, Bob Armstrong, Ronnie Garvin, former NWA champ, Terry Funk, and Stan Hansen, and Dr. D. David Schultz on the way. All the photos from beginning to end. It's all there. Ron's own Superstars of the Past series, 10 audio chapters of his best-selling novel, Brutus, classic Gulf Coast and Southeastern matches from the 1970s and 80s, documentaries, with the new videos added weekly. All this for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Plus, the free one-week trial is still available. It is the best deal in wrestling. Got to check it out. All right, so where are we riding next on the next Studcast, Ron? Well, both territories, man, have great cards for this next one, and special TVs, obviously, because it's the second week of the November TV rating period in 1978. Uh, we're going to have another major star evading southeastern Knoxville, Bob Orton Jr., going to uh, join one of the best heel crews in the world at this point. Uh, Sullivan is going to get back in the ring for a six-man elimination tag on the next stud cast. Plus, Ron Wright Incorporated going to have to face another bounty match. Uh, we'll get the entire card, dissect the show, uh, give the results of the card and the attendance. 
And then, and then the Southeastern Gulf Coast card is not going to be outdone. I can tell you that. The results of that mobile card this week is going to shake things up next week. So two title matches are on it, and fans are going to get a new star there as well. Jimmy Golden's going to make his first ever appearance there. But another star is going to be leaving because David Schultz and Charlie Cook is going to have a loser leave match. So the TV there is also going to be loaded, and we'll get the results of the card and the attendance and all the major markets. Uh, plus, we're going to have another learning tree question if we have the time, Dave. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing how fans view not just the cards of both territories in this studcast, but now uh, also they have the choice about the TVs, the best TV as well. So look for my post on social media, and mm-hmm. I want to thank everybody, as always, for joining us today, and I'm humbled by the number of fans listening each week, and I, I welcome those that are taking the ride for the first time. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. Great job, Ron. Another amazing studcast for Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.